Welcome to the Coog Center Podcast, and here's your host. When one is making a first trip into the Palouse country, it might be easy to ask out loud, where is everybody? Especially if you come from an urban region, and out here in the rolling wheatland, it's different. The air's sweet, you can hear the bird's song, and the natural process includes all four seasons with gusto. You find Washington State University on a collection of hills adjacent to the town of Polk. And in the eyes of an old alumnus, it is still a happy find for one who came from afar and who stayed long enough to have a life shaped. And once in a while, the WSU Cougars sit on top of the Pac-10 Conference football standings in November. Michael Preston. always like to start a new football season with that Keith Jackson sound. I don't remember what game it came from that he was calling uh, in Pullman, but it always kind of seemed like Keith had a little you know, a little extra oomph when he was calling um, a Wazoo game. I, I know I, you know, the guy was just inordinately happy again when uh, when they were good back in the late night. I think it was from an, one of the 2002 season games, I think, maybe. That might have been it. Uh, welcome back to the Cook Center Hour. We have a football game to preview in September. I'm so excited about that. Jason Turner from the Herald Journal in Logan, Utah, will be here in a little bit to discuss the uh, Utah State Aggies. We're also going to talk a little bit about Week Zero. Uh, it's always kind of interesting, even more interesting uh, this year after not having any football in Week Zero last year. So it'll be I, I'm kind of some weird stuff you know, happened and whatnot. So it'll be uh, it'll be fun to talk about. Uh, and then, as always, we'll end with our Dunderhead of the Week and ask Michael anything. Um, I, I, I want to we – are, we are right back where we were again last week <laughs> as far as the starting quarterback uh, for Washington State is concerned. Nick Rolovich didn't tip his hand at all earlier this week. I missed late last week. Um, when he said even if they did make a choice prior to the start of the game against Utah State, uh, they'd keep that internal with the team so only uh, the team would know who the starting quarterback is going to be. Sure enough, when we got a depth chart this week, it said Jarek Guarantano or Jaden Delora. So, again, there's not really too much to read into uh, there. I mean, despite not knowing who the starter is going to be, Guarantano being on top isn't too much of an indicator um, when you've got the ore on there. So it's 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 kind of difficult to glean um, really anything, frankly, from, from that depth chart as far as the quarterbacks. So we'll go into the depth chart here in a little bit uh, as well. But one thing I kind of wanted to touch on um, – as far as the quarterback position goes, is that I, I don't really buy into, you know, we're trying to hide who this is going to be for Utah State because Utah State is a very not good football team. Um, projected in Bill Connolly's computer to be one of the worst teams in college football this year, 118th ranked defense. And last year they finished. 120th overall with 121st ranked defense. So we're not talking about 
a very, very good football team here. We're talking about a team coming off quite a bad 2020. Again, I always like to preface, you don't really know what you're going to get from that. But to give you an idea of the difference is Washington State is up in the 40s this year, and Utah State's all the way down in the 100 teens. Now, granted, Washington State's defense not too good, according to Bill Connolly's computer, in the hundreds, but their offense much, 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 much better uh, than Utah State. So I, I, I kind of don't really buy <clears throat> you know, a line where it's, and I think Nick Rolovich said something kind of similar to this, is that, well, we're trying to keep Utah State guessing. Well, should you be <laughs> trying to keep Utah State guessing? I mean, is this really a team we want to have to be kept guessing? Is this me reading too much into it? Maybe it is me reading too much into it. But I don't I don't really think it's a team that you need to be, or you should be, you're favored by 16 points, according to Las Vegas, a team that you should really be too concerned with keeping guessing, you should just be able to name your starting quarterback and let Utah State prepare from there. Because Lord knows, from there on out, every other team is going to know who it is. I think in an ideal world, ideally, if you're Nick Rolovich, if you're Brian Smith, you don't, you know, you kind of, you get to play both guys on Saturday night because... Because again, Utah State is bad enough that you you can give both guys a little bit of run, um, and so again you can go into Portland State again, kind of doing the same thing where it's like, oh well, you know, both guys get to play and whatever else, and so you don't really need to make a choice until until that un, un, until that USC game. You don't need to decide who it's going to be, so. I think some of this is basically a way for Nick Rolovich and Brian Smith and Craig Stutzman to kind of delay saying who this is going to be for as long as possible because it gives them the most evaluation opportunity. Because, again, what you're really hoping for here is you're hoping for opportunities for both of these guys to play in the next two games, right? So you want to get out far enough ahead that you're comfortable giving both of these guys some looks against two opponents that on paper are not nearly as good as you so that's kind of what you're hoping for in this situation right and I, I guess kind of what I'm hoping for in this situation is that things get bad enough for your opponent early on in each of these next two games that Guarantano and Delora can play so that way you really know who the quarterback's going to be for the rest for the remaining 10 games of the season I don't like the framing, and I also get that it needs to be framed as we want to keep keep them off guard. When really, what you're thinking is, no, I just I want to play both guys. So maybe that's the way it's going to be. I still think that it will be Jaden Delora primarily going forward because that that is just the guy who fits this offense best. And I I really think you know you saw them both get reps with the first team on Tuesday at practice. But I really, really think if it was going to be Guarantano at this point, we we would have heard. He is a graduate transfer, um, so he's you know you, you kind of want to give a guy like that the assurance that he's going to be playing, um, at least publicly. I would think. Um, so I'm I'm still leaning towards it being Jaden Delora. I think everybody is at this point because it wouldn't be this drawn out if that were the case. And again, like I said last week, that kind of speaks to the quality of Delora in this offense compared to Guarantano, because Guarantano had a spring, Delora did not. Now, that was of his own doing, but that Delora is just the best fit. Who I feel bad for, like I did last week, is Cam and Cooper. 
That kid has worked his butt off, and he's just he's not there, and that's fine. And again, it wouldn't surprise me to see him transfer in the near future, and I wouldn't blame him at all. Um, but yeah, it appears he just genuinely is not going to have that opportunity here at Washington State, barring some some injuries um, ahead of him on the depth chart. Speaking of that depth chart, we got the first one uh, on Monday. It always comes out every Monday in the media release, if you're ever wondering where that is. Uh, Dijon Stribling, uh, not a big surprise that the freshman uh, made a lot of noise at camp. He's going to start at X, Calvin Jackson Jr. at Y. Also not a surprise there. Across the offensive line, the one thing we were wondering about was right guard, Cade Beresford and Roderick Tia Lavia. I don't know if I'm saying your name right, Roderick. I apologize. They got the or at right guard. Donovan Ollie wins the battle at Z, and even CJ Moore goes or with Anderson Grover uh, as his backup. Uh, Dion McIntosh and Nakia Wilson. Nakia? Nakia? Nakia Wilson? I think it's Nakia Wilson. My apologies to Nakia. You'd think I would be better at pronouncing names given all the time I spent doing play-by-play, but one of my secrets is I was always terrible at doing it. Uh, Watson, not Wilson. I can't even read names. Jeez. Even reading, I'm apparently having a hard time today. Good lord. What? This is, we're all getting back in the groove, y'all. We're all getting back in the groove of, you know, doing podcasts and talking about football. We didn't have a ton to do last year. So the surprise there is obviously the McIntosh and Watson get the or. So whoever's behind Borgie, it seems like, again, that might be something that get work, gets worked out um, in these first two games. Uh, again, no gigantic surprises across the defense. I was a little surprised to see an or with Brennan Jackson and Willie Taylor the third, but both of those guys are very, very good. Travion Brown still behind Justice Rogers at Mike. We'll see what happens um, there as the season moves on. Halid Jabril at free safety. Daniel Isom at strong safety. That answers our questions of who's back there. And Andrew Boyle wins the kicking job as well. Now that, I mean, ordinarily we wouldn't be talking about, you know, the kicking job. But with Blake Mazza now at SMU and Nick Haberer wins the punting job. And with Oscar Dragicevich, uh, he tried his hand at the NFL. Um, we do need to talk about that. Andrew Boyle, he had, he had like some viral kick of like, 72 yards, I think. I don't want to say viral because it didn't like like viral. It didn't like get widely disseminated everywhere in college football Twitter. But he he made a kick from 72 yards. So the kids clearly got a heck of a leg. So we're gonna see uh, how accurate that leg is uh, during the season. But uh, that's a big big shoes in Blake Mazza to fill. Wazoo's been very blessed to have some very good kickers um, over the last 15 or so years. There was just that couple year period early on with Leach where he couldn't decide which poor kid who couldn't kick a lick was going to go back out there and take a PAT couldn't kick a lick didn't even plan that that's great work by me um so no gigantic surprises I don't think on the depth charts um I will say one thing I was a little surprised to not see Alphonse Oywak um a little further up at cornerback at either cornerback spot um but he is still just a sophomore so um we'll see how he gets on uh back there as well um Utah State coming into Pullman again this is the first out not only the first game with fans uh since 2019 in Pullman this is their first out of conference game since 2019 in Pullman and this is a team that man they are in a weird weird place we I kind of highlighted that you know they are not the best football team and you know this is kind of what you're looking for in your out of conference opponents if you're Washington State until the alliance begins until we get games from the alliance whatever again we still no idea what that means um but for as weird as 2020 was you know for everybody um 
it was exceptionally weird for Utah State. Uh, they get Gary Anderson back, and if that name sounds familiar to you, there's a reason why. He was the head coach at Utah State for four years from 2009 to 2012. Then he went to Wisconsin, and then he jumped back to Oregon State, and then in the middle of his third season in, at Oregon State, everybody agreed to go their separate ways, and Gary Anderson also forfeited his money, and then he just kind of hung around for a year and then went back to Utah State to coach them, and then he got fired in the middle of last year. Like, So I, for any of that career track for Gary Anderson is weird, but Utah State fired their coach in the middle of a COVID-shortened season, and it was a guy who had at least, you know, some level of, you know, equity at Utah State. He had coached there for four years to to good success um, in Logan. But it was wild to me that they just let him go. And I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, I get he started 0-3, but geez. And not really too terribly much more has ever really been found out about it. So, okay. So they had a very weird year. They hired Blake Anderson from Arkansas State, and as Jason will go over here during his interview, there was kind of, you know, some rumors going around that maybe they could have gotten a little bit bigger name um, than Blake Anderson, who was at Arkansas State. But I I don't know that, you know, I, I think there's kind of a hierarchy of conference hirings, and it's not like a Mountain West team taking a Sun Belt coach is like too far down that hierarchy. We're not talking about them going down to like the GNAC in grabbing Central's coach or or even or even Wazoo going and grabbing Arkansas State's coach. We're talking about the Mountain West going to the Sun Belt, two group of six conferences. You know, it it it's seemingly okay for them to be trading coaches. But we'll see how Blake Anderson and his coaching staff gets on here in his first year in Utah State. Not a popular pick. I think they were voted fifth in the Mountain Division um, in the Mountain West this year. So it's going to be interesting to see how they get on. But at least it seems like from the outset, there's a pretty big rebuilding project to be done, especially um, after the departure of Jordan Love. I think it was after the 2019 season. So they've got a lot of work cut out for them um, in Logan and right off the bat, playing a team, when when your defense is in as bad a shape as Utah State's appears to be, playing a team which, on paper at least, their offense is much, 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 much better than their defense, um, that's probably not what you're looking for uh, right off the bat. But let's talk to Jason Turner about the Utah State Aggies, get a quick preview of them. After that, we're going to talk about some of the Week Zero weirdness, including some of it spilling over into press conferences on Monday, including Scott Frost saying one of the dumbest things. He could be the dunderhead of the week. I'm not going to do that. We're going to go elsewhere with that. But just one of the stupidest things I've ever heard a head coach say publicly to the press. Something you just do not admit to everybody, publicly at least. You keep this one close to the vest because it, wow, just it was incredible. Jason Turner up next here on the Cook Center Hour. Back on the Coog Center Hour, kind enough to lend us his expertise on the Utah State Aggies, because Lord knows we are lacking in a lot of things, and one of them is certainly expertise on the Utah State Aggies is Jason Turner of the Herald-Journal in Logan, Utah, which, if you will note, is where Utah State University is. And Jason, um, you know, I think kind of like everybody, and I've said on the show a few times here, is that you kind of have a really hard time 
gleaning much of anything from 2020 because it was such a weird and abbreviated season. But there might not have been a team in college football last year that had kind of a weirder season than Utah State because they did go 1-5. and five. They were not terribly good last year. But Gary Anderson, who previously coached the team before leaving for Wisconsin and at Oregon State, um, he just quit in the middle of the year. Like just they or a, a mutual parting of the ways, whatever you want to call it. Um, how weird was last year for Utah State? Um, yeah, I think you aptly des- aptly described that there uh, with a Gary. You know what? It almost seemed to me like I don't think maybe the coaching staff thought they were going to play a season. It, it just it didn't seem like they were as prepared as they should have been. I, maybe mm-hmm. I'm totally off off base there, but uh, you throw in the whole Gary Anderson situation, you throw in the Jason Shelley situation, and then the last game of the regular season, them um, making the decision not to even go. Yeah, it's about as weird as weird can be, even in a, a COVID-abbreviated season. Yeah, they, I mean, that you know, just kind of this weird, like, roller coaster of stuff going on. But now things hopefully have settled a little bit with the hiring of Blake Anderson, famously uh, from Arkansas State. He was there for over half a decade. What was the reaction like in Logan um, when he was hired to be the head coach of the Aggies? Um, you know, I, th- I think it was kind of mixed. I think, I think people who really follow college football could sense that this, this could potentially be a good hiring. You have a guy who frankly was at a at a mid-major program for more than half a decade um which a lot of times when guys start to have success after a couple of seasons they bolt so you know he did stick around when he had opportunities to bolt um you know there were rumors that maybe the aggies could have made a more flashy hire there were rumors of graham harrell and uh, you know up and coming offensive coordinators like that but uh I think all in all, I think most people who were football savvy felt that was a good hire. Mm-hmm. Twenty twenty, uh, you know, like again, we kind of mentioned not, you know, I, I kind of think tough to glean anything. You use Bill Connolly's SP plus. Utah State finished one um, eighteenth in the FBS last year. They were projected um, this season to be one hundred and twenty one. So I think it probably goes without saying. What are expectations like? For this team, I can't imagine like they're they're too terribly sky high for them to be like competing for a Mountain West title. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I I, I am a little surprised that they're projected lower than they were what they finished last year. I really do think this team's going to be better than last year. But Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's really I think it's an enigma right now. People really don't know what to expect. Though I think. People are encouraged by the type of enthusiasm this new coaching staff has kind of breathed into the program. He brought in a lot of transfers. I mean, the Aggies brought in, oh gosh, I want to say they've got like a 12, and th- th- these aren't all from last year, but boy, I want to say they have 13, 14, 15 uh, Power 5 conference transfers. So mm-hmm. definitely, definitely a, a, a different feel than last year. This is, and, and the, you know, I think folks kind of, <laughs> it's it's kind of odd to say that, like, these teams share a very striking similarity, but they do share a very striking similarity in that you and I have no idea who the starting quarterback is going to be <laughs> uh, on Saturday night in Pullman. So it's uh, Logan Bonner and Andrew Peasley are at the top of the depth chart right now. What do kind of each of them bring to this team that the other one doesn't? And who do you think it's going to be? I mean, I, you know... Just your best guess. Not, not. You don't have to like put your stamp on it and say this is definitely who it's going to be. <laughs> well, I definitely do have my 
thoughts on who it's probably going to be. Um, yeah, they're definitely different quarterbacks. Logan Bonner is more of a pocket type passer. He does, you know, for a bigger guy, he 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 can move a little bit, but uh, Andrew Peasley has wheels. I mean, that guy is legitimately fast. He's a legitimate four five forty kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? Uh, so Bonner is more of a pocket pass and i think he's uh, probably better in the short and intermediate game but i think a lot of us came out of fall camp thinking that peasley actually had the stronger arm and we saw bonner uh, underthrow a couple of deep balls in in the second scrimmage um you know but uh certainly uh peasley gives you much more of a running dynamic and mm-hmm. bonner gives you more of a po- pocket presence type passer so mm-hmm. and my my opinion i do think the Aggies know who the starting quarterback is going to be. I would suspect Washington State probably does too. I think both teams are just trying to stay low to the ground and keep the other keep the other team guessing. I do think Bonner will probably end up being the starter. But mm-hmm. that being said, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be stunned. It wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all if they do go with Peasley. But I think you bring in a you bring in a, a transfer quarterback. Uh, you're basically banking on that guy to win the job so yeah. i i do think it'll be bonner yeah and peasley quarterbacks with wheels scare every washington state fan just to just i mean it's just bad memories of a lot of bad stuff happening to these defenses <laughs> what kind of offense are we expecting then from this team jason because you know in in hearing nick rolovich talk a little bit about it it's a lot of guys they're looking basically for space because what he's been preaching here in the last you know few days is open field tackling because the last thing you want to do is let these Utah State skill position players get out in open space. Is that kind of what the Aggies are looking to do is get athletes in open space, or are they looking for something else? I would think that would be their primary goal. Yeah, the receiving core is one of the deepest uh, rooms in the, in the entire program right now, and you do got some they, they brought in they've got some speed scarver's a, a, a blazer they brought in a guy nine davis a true freshman he was running i want to say 10 5 7 in the 100 meter dash as a senior in high school he's got mm-hmm. speed um De- 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 devon tompkins has speed so yeah the, the aggies and and kyle van lewin's really elusive and quick another slot guy you got guys that can make guys miss in the, in the open field so certainly i would think that would be one of the primary things mm-hmm. they want to accomplish Saturday in Pullman. Is there anybody else they should be that Wazi fans should be looking for um, on that side of the ball? Because you know, I, I guess it seems to me that at least as far as we're concerned, the kind of the consensus seems to be that we're a little bit more worried about the defense than the offense here. So I'm kind of more, you know, was interested <laughs> in who could be who could be causing problems for the Cougs on defense. Uh, well, so which of the Aggie offensive players you? I think they should be concerned about. Yeah, just kind of, you know, just like if you had to pick like one, who's the most concerning? Oh, yeah, probably Devin Tompkins. Mm-hmm. He's the most experienced. I mean, he's the most experienced proven playmaker in the room. I think we've, Kyle Van Leeuwen's really, really turned some heads during fall camp, but he's never really done it in a game situation before. And everything I've seen of him so far makes me think he can, but Devin mm-hmm. Tompkins is the guy who's who's been there, done that. 
Okay, I'll keep that. I'll keep that in mind when I see. See, see, everybody's very excited about Devin Tompkins at your house. That's what I'm hearing. That's a good thing. Uh, the defense again, using Bill Connolly's projections, are projected to be the worst side of the ball. Kind of again, the same situation uh, in Pullman. What is kind of the biggest liability defensively for Utah State? Because, again, we're all kind of expecting the offense at Wazoo to be better. So what's kind of the one thing you think that coaching staff is most worried about when it comes to the defense? Uh, you know what? I, I think they've done what they they can to try to short up this year. But I mm-hmm. think the second – last year it was all across the board. But I think I think uh, the Aggies are looking good at linebacker. And I, I think they've really added to their depth in the defensive trenches – um, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with secondary. I, I know they brought in a couple of guys, and they seemingly addressed those problems during a fall camp. But mm-hmm. I think the defense is always gonna have an advantage during scrimmages. They they know what the offense is running, and that was a you know that was a a massive problem last year. The Aggies I want to say gave up 28 touchdown passes. That's so a lot. That's I'm gonna yeah. say I'm gonna say the secondary is the thing that that's most concerning to me at least. I'm I'm happy to hear about the the passing touchdowns given up. Just from a fan standpoint, <laughs> that makes me very happy. Um, so, you know, again, like I said, you know, it's kind of tough to build expectations on 2020, at least for me, because Wazoo, uh, much like Utah State, had an abbreviated season, and then Wazoo had several cancellations because of COVID, so the abbreviation became even more abbreviated. Um, but what would you say it's fair? Uh, expectations-wise for this Utah State team in 2021? I mean, obviously, I think, you know, you and I talked earlier about them being improved, um, but not necessarily, like, blowing the world away um, in terms of where they finish in the Mountain West. So what are your kind of expectations for them in Blake Anderson's first year? You know, I think – I don't think – I think fans should be looking at ideally five, maybe six wins – if they can get off to a strong start, maybe maybe they can get seven. But mm-hmm. uh, I think I think you, based on what happened last year, I, I think you would be happy with five or six wins this season. Yeah, and I I think if you had to give me a prediction for Saturday, like what what are you kind of expecting from Utah State in their first game under Blake Anderson, and what do you what would you kind of give a guess as the final score to be? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm full teams, of them. I'm full both of teams them. Struggled, both, both teams struggled so much defensively last year. Mm-hmm. One would think that both teams are going to put up some points, uh, regardless of what strides they've made on the defensive side of the ball. Aggies always seem to be competitive on the road against uh, – um, Power Five conference teams, you know, unless they're like LSU. <laughs> yeah, so, that's that's a little yeah, they, that's a little different. They, they, <laughs> yeah, they they've been in they've been in most of these games over the last ten to twelve years. So I think the Aggies are gonna be respectable in this game. I I would I would still expect Washington State to win. Let's say uh, let's say thirty five twenty four. I would take that in a game where neither of us has any idea who the quarterback's going to be for either team. Jason Turner of the Herald Journal in Logan, thank you for joining us, sir. I appreciate it. You bet. My pleasure. Week zero. We had college football last week, if you really want to call it uh, college football. And I frankly do because I enjoyed watching it. I had a good time. Uh, and I won a little bit of cash money on it. Not that I endorse that activity in the state of Washington, where it is not currently legal to do off of a tribal, uh, off of tribal land inside of their geofencing at the casino on a mobile app or in person. Mm-mm. No, 
no, no, no. Would not ever endorse that. Um, I, I don't, like, week zero, I kind of feel like, is really good for the college football watching diehards, right? Like, not a lot of teams are generally too willing to play on week zero, like a game of real consequence. At least that's how I've, I've felt over the years. This might have been a rare time in that Nebraska and Illinois got together in Champaign for a game, and uh, Illinois won 30-22, to which, by the way, is just its such a weird score. And we got there in just such weird ways. Nebraska missed two PATs in Illinois on their touchdowns, and they had a field goal, and Illinois had uh, four touchdowns and a safety. And, in fact, the first point scored in the college football season came on a safety where it was like the, the Nebraska punt returner, his momentum carried him into the end zone, and he got tackled, and he like tried to throw the ball out of bounds or something in like a desperate attempt to make it look like a fumble. It was it was so very beautiful. I I adored it so very much. The score was I think six to two at one point. It was like that. You remember that there was that Wazoo Cal game a few years back where Wazoo got waxed by Cal. I think it was actually in 2019 where the score was like eleven to two at one point. Was it, it was like it was eleven to two. How does like that that just does not compute? But I mean thirty to twenty two also doesn't really compute with me. Um. We saw UCLA beat up on Hawaii that we kind of expected to see, obviously, right? I mean, nobody was really surprised to see that. Hawaii's still in rebuilding mode, and UCLA should be pretty decent. UTEP wins their rivalry game against New Mexico State, and San Jose beats Southern Utah. Those were, you know, kind of the big games of that day. Um, but the, I want to focus on something from Illinois and Nebraska. And actually, it happened on Monday. Uh, after the game with Scott Frost. Now, Scott Frost, for those of you who don't know, and if you, I mean, you should know because it's frankly hilarious to a non-Nebraska fan at this point, and I want to apologize to Jordan McGrath if he's listening because he's a dear friend um, and a massive Nebraska fan. Um, he did go to Wazoo, but his whole family has rooted for Nebraska his whole life, and he's a big Nebraska fan, so I apologize for what I'm about to do here, Jordan. Um, but Scott Frost was seen as the savior after exiting uh, Central Florida after their national championship season. Uh, came back home to Nebraska. Bill Moose makes like the easiest hire he's ever going to make in any sport ever by hiring a guy who was universally wanted by that fan base and by that school. It was just too easy. Throw all the money you want at the guy. We don't care. Just make it work. I mean, it like if you are in a position to hire somebody and your boss tells you, I don't give a dang what amount of money you have to pay the man, just make it work. Like, that's so easy. That's so, 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 so easy. And especially a guy like Scott Frost, who's going to come back to Nebraska and who, and who, for whom Central Florida is not like his final destination, right? But needless to say, it's been a bit of a struggle for Scott Frost uh, in Lincoln. And Lincoln, of course, is a place with very high expectations of their football team, deserved or not, very much like Washington in that sense at this point, in that it has been a very long time since they've been relevant, although I can make the case it's been longer for Nebraska, because at least Washington was in a semifinal in the college football playoff as recently as a few years back. But Scott Frost has obviously, he's had some problems winning. And some problems recruiting. Like, I still can't believe Adrian Martinez is the best 
quarterback they can find at Nebraska. I just, I have, he went like five for 14 for 130 yards and like 60 of it came on one play. And then he had like a 70 yard scamper for a touchdown on Saturday. Just a super weird stat line for him on Saturday. But what Scott Frost said on Monday is, is, is definitely one of those, you just want, you, you have to say that with your inside voice. You say that up here, and I'm pointing at my head because a podcast is not a visual medium. You, you keep that up here. You don't let that move from your brain to your tongue and your teeth and your lips, and they move in a motion in which you are vocalizing what you are thinking. You don't allow that to happen when he said on Monday. Because, I mean, you know, Illinois is obviously also still a rebuilding program under Brett Bielema. Um, and, and they're not going to be by any means a world beater this year. So, I mean, the expectation was Nebraska. They were favored by a touchdown. They should have gone into Champaign and beat them. Um, so here is what Scott Frost said after that loss. He's now 12-21 and 21 through 33 games. <laughs> Nebraska, boy. Uh, so, you know, okay, I did like I give Illinois a lot of credit. We watched a lot of tape, blah, 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 blah. But... You know all the all this stuff, but the, the the meat of this quote. What you really need to hear is, it was just kind of an interesting game because about half of our game plan was kind of out the window when they came up and lined up the way they did. We really had to scramble and go to our, go to our alternative plan and tried to adjust. We did some good things, but not good enough. Because about half our game plan was kind of out the window when they came up and lined up the way they did. Oh, Scott. <laughs> like, I get that you follow it up with, we had to go to our alternative game plan, but... Oh, buddy, 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 buddy. New. No. We use our inside voice there. That stays right locked up in the old noggin. That little tidbit of information should not come forth from your mouth into a microphone in front of people who use that microphone to then report on the things you said with your mouth. Oh, buddy. Especially, and I mean, look, especially especially against a team like Illinois. Illinois is not exactly in that conference in football. They are not exactly, you know, this Goliath. No, they very much for a long time have been an afterthought in that conference. And Nebraska is a newbie to the Big Ten, but they obviously do not think the way most people think of them in that they have not been too terribly relevant to the sport of football for a very long time. The sport of college football, that is. So, like, you really should beat Illinois. And again, they lost, I, I think they played them last year and they lost. So, okay, you know, like, whatever. Like, 2020 is 2020, right? Like, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna break anybody over the coals for that. 2020 is 2020. Okay, fine. You lost. You lost to him last year, because I think I saw this was the this was the first time in like eighty years Illinois has beaten 
Nebraska in two straight matchups. It, it literally hasn't happened since like the Eisenhower administration. They did play last year. Illinois beat them 41-23. But <laughs> that, that would legitimately be like... I'm sure it would have been like an embattled coach in the Pac-12 admitting that um, Colorado had come out and wow, we just had to throw the playbook out, just throw it away. <laughs> you don't want to say that. You do not want to say that. That needs to stay up there. So what we really found out in week zero is that Scott Frost is in a pretty seriously bad way here. He's in pretty seriously bad shape in Lincoln. And the guy who hired him is gone. Now back to his cattle ranch north of Spokane or wherever the hell it was. So the good news for Scott Frost is that the school owes him an awful lot of money if he gets fired. Um, if he wants to continue working for them. Although I'm sure there's a clause in his contract, as there are many other contracts, that says if you do get rehired, we owe you basically less what the new place is paying you. Um, but it just, it's, it's so wild to me because even though that was the obvious hire, right? Like it was the obvious hire, even though Bill Moose, like didn't even have to think, he didn't have to think about it. It still seemed like the right hire. And it's, I, I, again, anecdotally, I kind of feel like so many times, you know, the right hire isn't necessarily the most obvious one. It's not necessarily the one you would look at and say, oh, yes, it must be that guy. But this was a rare time where it truly felt like the consensus among everybody was that this was the obvious and the right hire at Nebraska to finally get that ship righted in the direction it should be sailing. And it has just exploded in Nebraska's face so far because... You can't tell a lot from 2020. 2020 was what it was. And I hate to take a lot from one week of football. But if Nebraska can't move the ball against Illinois, and if they give up four touchdowns to Illinois' backup quarterback, what hope do they have? What hope do they have, man? Like, where? how do things get better in the near future for them? How do things get better in 2021 for Nebraska, barring some kind of miracle like Adrian Martinez figuring out how to throw a football properly? How do things get better for you? Scott Frost will probably survive the season, but that that is going to be that Sunday after the season ends. Do not be surprised to see on ESPN sticker breaking Scott Frost relieved of his duties in Lincoln. Do not, and, and a national search will commence right away for his replacement. Do not be surprised to see that. That I, I just the it, it it was the obvious and the right hire, and it just I I don't know enough about why, but it has just not even remotely worked out. Not even kind of, not even like a little bit, not not just a little scamp, a little bit. Absolutely wild. Can't believe that. Dunderhead of the Week. Ask Michael anything on the other side of the fight song on the Kook Center app.
Dunderhead of the week time. Uh, I am 33 years old. Perpetually in the worst situations, though, believe that I am still 23 years old. Does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? Like, like at the worst times, I think I'm still 23 years old. Um, this past weekend, we, my wife and I were lucky enough, along with Jeff and Craig um, and Jeff's wife, to go to Mark Sandrider's wedding. His wife, uh, his new wife, Maddie. A lovely ceremony. Lovely couple. Uh, we had a wonderful time. An absolute blast. These little, like, glow stick things that they had. I brought home three for the baby, and she's still playing with them. Um, but, like, so I had agreed with my wife that I would drive us to Fremont, um, where the wedding was, uh, because we live in West Seattle, and so, you know, an Uber is like 50 bucks each way now, and I didn't feel like spending the money, and we had some family pictures the next day, so I didn't want to be, you know, I wanted to be in a good frame of mind. Um, so that meant, you know, spacing out drinks, obviously, and a couple cups of coffee to stay up, but I still overrated a wedding, as one does. Uh, but Mark had the foresight because, uh, you know, Dick's Hamburgers are in Seattle. He ordered, like, a ton of Dick's cheeseburgers for everybody to have. I think it was at, like, 10 p.m. And I looked at that tray after eating so many appetizers and a huge entree and drink and having a few beers, but then also having coffee and everything else and feeling bloated and tired. And I went, yeah, I could have a couple of Dick's cheeseburgers. <laughs> What are you doing, Preston? Why? It's so dumb. Why do I do this? <laughs> I felt so sick when we got home. I had to have like three Tums and just, I laid in bed and sounded like a whale that had been beached. That's what I sounded like. Like, Know your age. Know your limitations. It's fine to not have the Dick's Cheeseburgers at 10 p.m. after you've already eaten so much. It's okay to do that. Like, it's fine. I, I But, like, I, I just forget I'm this age at the worst possible times. And that was one of them. Ask Michael anything time. I'm recording this at, like, 9.40 at night, and I kind of want to go get a Dick's Cheeseburger right now. Like, that's, that's... I'm not even learning right now. Oh, my God. Ask Michael anything time. Oh, my goodness gracious. That was just... That was just utterly befuddlingly terrible. Uh, at Wazoo507, Wazoo's good luck, Chuck. Why are Coog coaches tweeting out hashtag XX triple I? So, 23? Uh, I don't know why... They're doing this. I'm not cool enough to know. That's I'm. I'm just. I'm not cool enough. Uh, at Jen Sue eighty two Jennifer Dickinson. Why is Dallas Hobbs missing from the roster? Not the roster technically. He's missing from the depth chart. I don't know. That that was mildly surprising to me. I know Dallas has had trouble kind of, you know, staying at the top of the depth chart over the years. But that was mildly surprising. I do know he didn't have his best year last year. Um, but again, it's it's twenty twenty. At D Lawrence and Doug Lawrence and Rolo. Yay or nay? I'm in the yay camp for now. I want this all to work out. I was just was mostly upset with how, like, like I said last week, we were gonna get right here no matter what. You're gonna have to get the shot. So just do that. At King Coog 56, Curtis Klepp, should we be concerned about Rolo's record versus USU? I saw this morning and had to make a dumb Xanax cocktail. 
with Xanax help with Dick's cheeseburgers. Um, no, I wouldn't be too worried. Uh, different teams. He had a different team. USU was good back uh, when he was coaching at Hawaii as well. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. I, I think it's pretty fairly cut and dry. They're 16 and a half point favorites for a reason. Uh, at Harry Dunn 16, Harry Dunn, what do you think would be the optimal run pass split for this offense this year? How often will we see two running backs on the field at the same time? This offense that I know of doesn't have a ton of two running back sets. And because we didn't see a lot of this offense last year, I, I think a lot of this still this year is going to be a surprise to a lot of us. Wouldn't expect a lot of two running back sets like you saw in the air raid. Um, I think the split is probably 60-40 still in favor of passing the football. Um, and the running back's going to get a lot less involved um, in the passing game than you were used to in the air raid as well. Uh, at TDC Thompson, Adam Thompson, the Cougs go 6-6 six and six or better every year, but the Seahawks go 0-16 every year. Do you take the deal? Oh. <laughs> you know what? No, I, I keep promising myself I'm going to go to a bowl game, and I still haven't done it, so no, I don't I don't take that deal. Maybe I make it different this year. I don't know, though. Uh at Max Like Sports 1, Max Like Sports, biggest surprise from the depth chart. We kind of talked about that. I think Hobbs being left off, it's a mild surprise at least. Nothing was like too big um, to me. I, I think maybe, honestly, Delora not just being the starter. That was probably the most surprising thing. At Devin Lewis 89, Devin Lewis, in the spirit of death by 105, our friend PJ Kendall, over or under 2.5, the number of QBs, QBs to take meaningful snaps for the Cougs, over or under 6.5 wins for the Cougs, over or under half a team. In the Pac-12 to get to the CFP, I again, good on you for using the half points. Under, under, under. I would take the under on all of those. I would. At Nick Schulte, ten. Nick, if you only had to pick one game to attend this year, which one would it be? It would be that USC game. Uh, but uh, we have a wedding to attend that weekend, so we will not be there. But luckily, the ceremony is not until uh, later in the evening. Um, so I will be able to watch and imbibe in many beers, uh, while watching the game and then get ready, uh, for the wedding, uh, between our friends there. So, uh, I wish I could be there. Um, I always love going to USC games in Pullman, but life calls as it were. At WC Brady 27, Kyle Smith for president. You have to start a new non-sports podcast with other Kook Center staff. Who do you choose and what is the pod about? Well, now we're just going to make somebody feel super awkward, aren't we? We're just going to do that. Um, I could talk about golf with Brian Anderson. I could do an entire podcast on, like, traveling cool places uh, with Craig Powers because he's been so many places. Uh, I could do... I mean, you could just do like a, you know, like sports writing critique podcast with Jeff Neusser, although I don't know how many people would listen to that, probably just he and I. Um, oh, no, I okay, here's a really good one. A comparing Woodenville and Bothell podcast with Zane and Kyle Sherwood. That would be, I think that would be the best one. That would probably be the best one. At Chris McKinter, Chris McKinter, why does breakfast taste better? At dinner. I've been preaching that to my wife for forever, man. And she doesn't believe me, but it does. Breakfast for dinner is one of the most underrated things on the planet in life generally. I just, I love a waffle, eggs, bacon for dinner. It's friggin' delicious. Washington State 35, Utah State 21. Final score this weekend. We will see you next week on the Kook Center Hour.